the vine, the branches, and the gardener. So we are in John 15, okay, verses 1 through 8. And by the time we're done this morning, we will be done with 15 and 16 next week, ready for 17. You go, whoa, 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 what what is happening here? Well, if you study, this is called the, uh, the farewell discourse. It's Jesus at the Last Supper in 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. What you're going to find out is that there's a bunch of themes that Jesus and then John the writer goes over again and again and again. I call it kind of a, a repeating swirl of themes. Um, this, is, this is even true in John's letter, 1 John. Um, he doesn't just say point one. It's not a nice, neat outline. It's basically this. How do you know you're a Christian in John, in John 1? Well, you, you have proper belief that Jesus has come in the flesh. You have proper doctrine. Now, number two, uh, that you love the brethren, that you uh, love one another. And number three, that you're growing in righteousness. And those three things are just kind of swirled around again and again and again. And the same is true here in the farewell discourse. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to really zero in on John 15, 1 through 8, but use it as kind of a tree to hang a bunch of these themes on. Love, betrayal, belief, prayer, obedience, peace, the Holy Spirit, persecution, and fruit. Okay, so you got the idea? You're, you, you're good with covering that amount of scripture? As I can go verse by verse and we'll be here for another eight, nine years. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, um, so let's take a look at, oh, okay, we lost it. Um, let's take a look at our bulletins, right? And let's take out our reading glasses so we can actually see the bulletin, okay? So here we go. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit." For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my 
disciples. Okay? So if, if I were to sum up the big picture of what Jesus is saying with this analogy of the vine and the branches, it would be this. God is glorified when we, disciples, produce much fruit. Now, what's, what's fruit? I'll, I'll save us a lot of time. We could look up, we'd do a word study on the word fruit and look at all. But basically, three things. Fruit, first of all, is your character, like the fruit of the Spirit. When you're a Christian, you produce, you, 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 you should display love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness. The, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. So it's our character being transformed more and more into that of Christ's character. Secondly, I think fruit is con- uh, uh, converts. Okay, Bringing more believers to, into the faith. Okay, Character, converts, and then... Commandments. We love Jesus, so we want to obey his commandments. So if, if, if we want to bring glory to God, he is glorified. He's the master gardener by us, the branches, producing fruit, character, converts, and obeying commandments. Okay. Now, um, the main point that Jesus is making is this. You can't produce fruit yourself. Okay? It's like lopping off a branch and the branch thinking, I'm going to make me some grapes today. You, you can't. You are to be connected, cling for your life to the vine. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. He produces fruit through us. And God, the gardener, is trimming us and pruning us. When uh, I was a kid, I remember, and I must have just been like three or four years old, we were at a shopping center, and they had one of these faucets just hanging in midair, and water was coming out of it. And my, my little brain had not developed to the point of deviousness that it has now as a magician, Right? And, and I just, how does that, how can that possibly work? That water is coming out of a faucet. Well, I mean, think about it long enough. There's got to be a pipe that goes up and the water is, is coming down. And it's, so I, sorry to ruin that for some of you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun to make, Pete? You could put that out at your, you know, people would drive for miles around. Okay. But... Uh, forget the trick. I think a lot of Christians think that that's, that's their job. We got to produce water out of nowhere. No, you can't. You need to be connected to the source. Right? That's, that's the point. That's the main point. Okay? Now, um, I just simply, uh, and, and, and here, here's, the, here's the analogy actually picturing a vine. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches, okay, cling to, remain in, cling to the, the vine, and he will produce fruit. And God the Father, he is the pruner, so he cuts these dead leaves away, so, uh, so the sap is going to the fruit through us. That's the big point. Now, let's, let's zero in a little bit deeper 
on each verse. We've got four main points, okay? And oh, and point four has four subpoints. So, depending how you look at it, it's either a four-point sermon or an eight-point sermon. And then each of the four subpoints has 12 subpoints. No, it doesn't. Okay. All right. Here's the, here's the first subpoint. Jesus, not an institution, is the true vine. What do we mean? Well, he says this. I am the... Notice he just doesn't say vine. He says, I'm the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Why does he say, I am the true vine? Well, God called the nation of Israel his vineyard back in the Old Testament. But over time, they produced very little fruit or no fruit or rotten fruit. You know why? Because most of them were relying on being part of Israel. We're part of the institution of Israel. Therefore, we're good with God. They weren't connected personally by faith to God. So they produced no fruit. Yet, even in the time of Jesus, most of them thought, well, we're good. We're part of the institution of Israel. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I am the vine. I am the true vine you need to be attached to. Not the institution of Israel. And we could add, not, not the institution of a denomination. Or even of the institution of a church. Okay? But Jesus... You can be in a church and not be attached to the vine. Okay? I ask people all the time, are you a Christian? Well, of course I'm a Christian. Well, why, why do you say of course? Well, I'm Catholic. Or I'm Baptist. Or I'm on the council at my Lutheran church. Or Judas would say, I'm part of the, the apostleship club. But he wasn't attached to the vine. Okay? Now, I'm going to throw a curveball at you. Because right now I'm saying don't confuse being attached to a church with being attached to Jesus. By the end, I'm going to say it's going to sound like the opposite. You can't really be a fruitful Christian unless you are part of a local body. Okay? You're not saved by being part of a church. But if you're saved, you know what you'll do? You'll be part of a church. Okay? So that's point number one. Jesus, not an institution, is the true vine. Number two. Pruning hurts, but it makes us more fruitful. Okay? So... He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So there are dead branches that really aren't believers. They are taken away and thrown into the fire. Okay? But what about the ones that remain? And every branch that 
does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So look, here's a dead leaf. To cut that off, so uh, the sap will go to producing fruit, not being wasted in, in, in foliage that, that is, is no good. Okay? Um, so, in, in essence, what, what this is talking about is God loves us enough to discipline us. Okay? Discipline and pruning are the same thing. Now, you go, oh, God's disciplining me. He must hate me. No, no, no. In Hebrews, it says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. If, if you're living like the devil and the Lord is just not doing anything to get your attention, to stop you, to discipline you, you got to wonder, am I truly his child? A nice spanking every now and then, even though it hurts, is a good thing. It reminds us that we are children of God. Okay? Now, let me talk about two different kinds of discipline. If any of you were ever in sports, we had discipline as punishment and discipline just as conditioning, okay? Um, times we'd lose a football game and we would have extra wind sprints. Okay, you guys earned it, get on the line, right? Um, and that's supposed to be an incentive to try a little harder to win next week, okay? But then there's a kind of discipline that is, it has nothing to do with you're bad, you're being disciplined for sin. It's just we need to grow up. So God brings some pain and some trials and problems into our lives to mature us in the faith. And that has nothing to do with sin. But your loving father, the master gardener, is pruning us through these different painful uh, events in our life that is for our own good. Okay, So that's, that's the second point. Pruning hurts, but makes us more fruitful. Number three, the gospel, the word of God, is the power of God for salvation. So um, Jesus says, now, now remember, Judas is already gone. Judas is off selling Jesus out. So who remains? The 11 true believers he says, already you are clean, and remember that word clean, because of the word that I have spoken to you. Okay? It is through the word, through the gospel, that they believe and they were justified, sanctified, set apart as believers. In essence, Jesus is saying, guys, don't take the pruning that you're going to feel to mean you're not saved. You believe the words I have spoken. You believe the gospel. So you are clean. You're forgiven. You're justified. You don't need to get resaved every Sunday. Okay, you ever been to church like that? There goes Brother 
Brother Bob is getting saved again, going down the aisle for the 14th time this year. Okay, now, if you truly believe, you're saved, you're clean, okay? But not all of our sin magically disappears. It's a lifelong process of, of growing, of confessing your sin, of being forgiven. Jesus is saying, I don't want you, when this pruning takes place, to think you've lost your salvation or you need to regain your salvation. You are clean, but you need to be pruned. This is very similar. These words are very similar, especially the word clean, to what Jesus has already covered back in chapter 13 when he's washing the apostles' feet. Okay? Um, Is it, am I doing this? Okay. All right. So Jesus is, is washing the feet. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet, only. Uh, well, 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 first of all, first of all, Peter says, don't, don't, don't wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you can have nothing to do with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but all my hands and my head. Give me a, give me a bath if I can't have anything to do with you. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed, has had a bath, who has been saved, who has been justified, doesn't need to wash. You don't need another bath, except for his feet. But it's completely clean. There's that word again. All right. And you are clean, but not every one of you. He's always, he's always signaling out the betrayer, Judas. Okay. What, what, are, what are these two analogies saying? You've had your saving bath when you believed. You've survived the initial pruning of lifeless branches. You're in the vine. Now, you don't need to be resaved, but there's still this remaining sin in your life. I will convict you. You confess it. I will forgive you. I will wash your feet. I will discipline you. I will prune you. That's part of the analogy here. Okay? Now, fourth point. <laughs> and this is the main point of the analogy. Pour your efforts into clinging to Jesus, and fruit will come. Pour your efforts into clinging to Jesus. And the fruit will come. So he says this. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Um, by the way, that word abide, it's kind of an important word in John. He uses it 41 times in the Gospel of John. He uses it 23 times in 1 John. Now, some of your translations don't have the word abide. They have the word remain. Okay, it's kind of the same idea, 
you know, make sure you're attached to the vine. But I do prefer abide better or over remain because remain could imply just gut it out whether you, whether you like being attached to the vine or not. Just remain, just do it, right? Where abide, I think, conveys the idea of remaining because you want to be in the vine. See, the, the, the problem with, with every analogy, especially one of an inanimate object, you, you know, branches don't really go, I'm clinging for my life today. They, they don't have a will. But when you transfer the idea to humans, when he says abide or remain, that now involves our wills. We, we need to do something, or at least will, to be in the vine. Okay, But there's, there's a passive element to abiding and an active element to abiding. The, the passive is you realize I'm not the one producing the fruit. It's Jesus producing the fruit through me. So I'm just hanging, I'm just abiding, okay? Think of a pet. What does your pet do to earn his keep? Nothing. He just abides in the house, right? Just hanging out, okay? But even a pet has to do a minimum. He has to at least want to be there or they'll run off. Okay, now we had dogs who ran off all the time. Um, and it's not because golden retrievers don't want to be there. They just want to make friends everywhere. So that's why they leave, okay? But my daughter-in-law out in, uh, in California, she, they had a dog growing up. It turned into an old dog, as all dogs do. And they used to walk the dog around the block. Then one day, they let the dog out, and you know what he did? He walked himself around the block without, without a human. <laughs> so that's, that is a great dog. All right, go walk. Go walks around the block, and he comes. He abides in the home because guess what? That's where you get your food, and that's where you get your love. Right? So there's an element to which abiding is um, just passive. We're, we're hanging out in Jesus. But there is an active element in which we have to, let me ask you this, do you want to abide in Jesus? Do you want him to produce fruit for you? And if you go, honestly, I don't, I don't really want to be here, I can't wait to get, I don't want to hear any more of this, I don't really care, then you're not a Christian. A Christian at least has that basic desire to want to be in the vine so he produces fruit now i think we can add some other things to abiding and and here is where some of you already know we're going to talk about spiritual disciplines those things we do to abide in jesus but i i don't want to turn spiritual disciplines into you better do this. Good Christians do this. These are the things that make you a Christian. No, no, no. I want you to see spiritual disciplines as things we, we want to do to let his life 
flow through us. So I'm going to change the analogy from horticulture. Now, you farmers, you're like, oh, this is great. I know all I, all I know is like branches that are attached to vines, they produce fruit. That's the extent of my horticultural knowledge. But you know what I do know a little bit about is PowerPoint. Okay. Football. I'm going to give you four football analogies to help us understand um, spiritual disciplines, which, which are a means to an end of abiding in the vine, okay? Um, so first of all, think, think about this. To grow as a Christian, you need to join a team. There you go. You, you need to be on a team, okay? Now, while, while each, each individual branch needs to individually be attached to the vine, the New Testament knows nothing of an individual branch that isn't part of a local church, Okay, In Acts 2, 3,000 people are added to the church and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. What's the fellowship? It's one another. They devoted themselves to one another. So the first basic spiritual discipline is you need to become part of a living, breathing church that has standards so when you go AWOL, they can reel you in, right? And that loves one another, and that serves one another, okay? Now, there are a lot of Christians out there who are not on a team, okay? So ma imagine this conversation. Let's say you run into somebody, and, and you say, so what do you do? And they say, well, oh, I'm a, I'm a football player. Oh, what team are you on? Oh, I'm not on a team. I tried that once. It didn't go really well. I didn't like the coach. It's kind of mean. And the, some, of, some of the other players, especially the linemen, they could learn a thing about deodorant, you know. And the stadium is way too far away. And Sundays are kind of my free day. I, I like to do other things. So... So you're not on a team. Well, you could say I'm kind of in between teams. Oh, so how long was it since you were on a team? Well, it's been, you know, several years now. You know, it's a whole COVID thing. Right? Um, plus, I, I just kind of like to do things at my own pace. And being on a team with people, they, they irritate me and things. So I'm just, I'm my own team. And you would say... I don't mean to upset you, but I don't think you're a football player if you're not committed to an actual team. Well, I'm on a fantasy team. Yeah, that's right. You're, you're on a fantasy team. Okay. How about a real team with real people where you, you, know, you actually have to irritate one another and let it go and bear with one another and forgive one another and you learn from them and they learn from you? No, no, no. There's the internet. There's, an inter There's a lot of resources on the internet to be a football player. You see the analogy here? Do you see how ridiculous this is? Okay. By the way, 
Um, if you're not involved in a church, and I don't mean just attending, I mean involved, you're violating 100 commands. What? Yeah, the one another's. The words love one another, serve one another. Uh, the, one another's appear 100 times. Sometimes they repeat like love one another 13 times. But if you're not one anothering in a team, on a team, then you're in violation of 100 commandments. Okay? All right. So, first thing, join a team. Second thing, go ahead and advance, please. Another, next one. Next one. All right, number two, learn the playbook. Okay, next, please. All right, so um, if you're on a football team, you got to learn the plays, right? Um, I, I coached, uh, you could call it coaching. I tried to coach seventh grade football. Shout out to seventh grade football players, <laughs> Josiah, right? <laughs> that guy's a beast, by the way. <laughs> um, so, do you, and I don't know if this is true still, but when I coached, I said, where's the playbook? The playbook. And, the, and they said, we don't even use a playbook. We used to hand out a playbook. It was a lot of waste of paper. Nobody studied it. We just teach them the plays uh, in, during practice, and they have to remember how to run the plays. But at least they learned the plays, Okay, so the analogy here is we need to know the word of God. We need to study the word of God enough to get the big picture of what it's teaching. You know, I, I just, I, I heard some statistics the other day. One is that only 4% of Generation X has a Christian worldview. In other words, their thinking is framed by the Bible and then I heard this, only one-third of pastors have a Christian world view. So even, you know, the third of people that go to church are sitting under teaching of two-thirds of, in their churches who don't even have a Christian worldview. So here, here's the thing, if we were to, uh, to call a play, if, if, the, if Christian America, Christian America, was a football team, and we called a play, would we even have a clue how to run it because of our lack of knowledge of the Word of God? I was once, I don't, I don't, I don't think my kids ever played t-ball, but we went to a t-ball game with little kids. And um, I remember one little kid, he got his helmet on and they had the ball on the, on the tee. And first of all, he waved to his mom. <laughs> then he hauled off and he hit that ball and he took off running right down third base. Right? <laughs> and I, I realized not one of these kids out here has a clue why they're here or how the game is played. It's just, you know, dad brought them and they're, they've got their mitt and they're... They didn't, they didn't understand the game. The playbook, and, and I, I hesitate to even call the Bible the playbook because that makes it a dead book of rules. It's living, it's active. But you, even seventh grade football players take the time to know the plays. 
We need to let the word of God flow through us. All right, let's move on to the next picture. One more. One more. Is it working? Oh, it's got a great football picture. Are we frozen? All right, get on the field. Stop right there. Okay. Okay. So, we, we visited with my son Caleb out in uh, California. He's a pastor and he's training to be a principal of a Christian school. And the guy's just super smart. And, and we were talking about discipleship. He met, he met at this, uh, this, this restaurant with us. And they, a robot served us. A robot wheeled up and served us our lunch. And he goes, yeah, this is where I take some guys and we do discipleship. I said, when you, when you say we do discipleship, what do you mean by that? He goes, here's, here's discipleship in a nutshell. Spend time with your rabbi. Do what your rabbi does. Be like your rabbi. That's the whole framework upon which he builds his discipleship. Okay, And then I said, well, then what do you have them do? And his, his response was, Get them on the field. You, you, you got to live it out in the real world. Meaning, everybody in their church, he says, you need to strategically be involved with non-believers. So, join a club or become part of a football team or chess club or, oh, there's one guy who goes, he likes, what was it, line dancing. Okay, his, his mission is line dancing, and he gets to know the people, and uh, they know him, and that's the people he, he, he has something in common with. Now, you go, wait a minute. Whoop, could we go back to the picture? No? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, you go, well, wait a minute, I could get hurt. Is that Aaron Rodgers upside down, or... I, <laughs> um, here, here, we need to correct a misconception some Christians think the goal of Christianity is to not get hurt no in fact in very good in <laughs> in this chapter Jesus says if you're on my team you're going to get hurt it's just a matter of time, okay? If the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And then if we go into 16... He, he, here's this reoccurring theme. I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogue. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. You're going to get beat up. You're going to get disowned from your family. You're going to maybe get fired from work. You're going to be made fun of on social media. And you may die. He didn't hide this. Yet I think we have re- crafted Christianity to be come to a warm church service 
come to a, a lovely Bible study and God will give you a pleasant, peaceful life. If that's your image of Christianity, go back and read the Farewell Discourse. Pain is promised as part of the growth process. Now, last picture. Click. Keep going. Communicate with the coach. Picture. Okay. So, are we going to boo him? No. What's that? Yeah, his dad baptized me. And you, right? That's Kirk Cousins, Don Cousins. Um, now, you go, oh, the poor guy's got a headache. He says, no, what's he doing? Yeah, he's listening to the coach. And, and it's so loud up there in Minnesota <laughs> that he's got to cover the ear holes so he can hear the coach, right? And that he can also turn to the coach and go, uh-uh, gonna, ain't going to run that play. And the coach will say, you better run that pay, play. We pay you a lot of millions of dollars to run that play. And, you know, so, but there's, there's communication, and this is a picture of prayer. Right? In fact, do you realize the incredible promises that Jesus offers us when it comes to prayer, go ahead and take a look. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, you go, wait a minute, whatever I wish? Well, realize that whatever you wish gets merged with and my words abiding in you. If his words are flowing through you in your heart and in your mind, you know what you're going to ask for? What he wants. I, our, one of our favorite restaurants that we, it no longer is there. It used to be in Water Tower Place. It, we called it the credit card restaurant. And it was a food court. And you, you go and you give them your credit card, and then they go, how many in your party? And we had, you know, five of us. And each one would get their own magical credit card. And we said, okay, go get whatever you want. Now, in Josh's ears, he had just gone to heaven. <laughs> I can get whatever I want? And his favorite thing, they had these little orange peels, real orange peels, but the orange was scooped out and they had like jello in the orange peel. Oh, it was like five bucks for each one. But um, now, the other kids knew get whatever you want meant within dad's reasonable world. Because I would always complain. Every time we'd go out to eat, I'd go, you guys are killing me. All right? um, so, so what this means is, yes, I'm here to treat you. Ask away, but you know what is reasonable and what I want. But here's what I want to end on. In fact, let's do one more click. There we go. 
By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. God wants you to bear fruit. God wants you to grow in Christ-like character. God wants you to witness to other people so there's more converts. God wants you to be an obedient follower. So ask, Lord, produce in me more fruit. Let me lead more people to the Lord. I need help overcoming this sin. Give me the strength to do so. And it says... God is glorified when we bear much fruit. So as we end this, let's do the last picture, okay? You go, what what am I to take away? Because we covered a lot. Cling to Jesus and he'll produce fruit. And when he produces fruit, God is glorified. How do I cling? Do you need to be more committed to a team? Do you need to know the playbook? Do you need to actually get on the field? And are you in communication with the coach? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this analogy of the vine and the branches. And I pray, Lord, that that you would produce much fruit uh, in each of us, in each of our churches. And we want to glorify you by being fruit-producing Christians. Lord, show us uh, which of these areas we need to get serious about uh, and produce in us changed character Use us to bring people to know you and make us radically obedient for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.